Hello, how are y'all doing tonight? Nice. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Trayvon Smith. I'm the Young Adult Men's Director here, and I'd just love to say welcome to the gathering. Um, as we get going, I'd love to just jump into, do any of you miss being a kid? I mean, <laughs> as young adults, I think of this, like times were so simple whenever, I just think back as a kid, when you show up on the playground and immediately you can meet your best friend. The only thing you had to worry about in the day was a juice box and nap time and you were good to go. But I also think of this, that as I go back in my mind, there's so many memories that I have and what comes to mind is the people that I shared them with. And so I can think back all the way to first grade when I had a friend named Jace, who in the first grade, because he wanted to be in the spelling bee, he asked me to join him. And I said, okay. And out of that, I learned that I have stage fright. And it did not go well. There was a, a cute little girl that got up there and spelled a word wrong. Then they said, Trayvon, get up there. And immediately I spelled it exactly like her, knowing exactly what I did. And that was kind of the end of that. I froze and in that same moment, I just remember him looking over and laughing at me. And it will always be bonded off of that. I think of another story with my friend Shane, who, if you know Shane, Shane is about this big. He's a toothpick with a big old head, like massive head. And we used to always wrestle just around, just roughhousing in my room. And I'll never forget that one day we're wrestling and Shane's head goes through the wall. And it did not end up good for us. My mom is about four foot 11. She was in the military for 25 years. She is a fierce little lady. But when I say she came in there and whooped both me and Shane, and I'll never forget because we still laugh about it to this day. And then I think about my friend Matt, who once I got into high school, uh, our football team required us to do two sports. And if you didn't pick a sport, then you had to do track. And our coach, literally anyone who didn't go out for the team, he's like, you're going to run the mile. It was almost like punishment. So I was like, joke's on you. I'm going to find me another sport. And I'll never forget, uh, Matt talked me into joining the wrestling team. But what he didn't tell me is the wrestling team ran a mile as the warm-up every day. And so, again, just this fond memory of a friend that talked me into a terrible situation. And then one of, another vivid memory is that I had this friend, uh, Cal. Well, I still have this friend. Um, and we met at this college camp. And I'll never forget, we had this group of middle school kids. And we're out in the middle of nowhere. And one night in the middle of the night in the cabins, we just hear this zap. And we're like, what is that? And so we cut on the lights and we find this 12-year-old kid with a homemade taser. He had took a bug zapper, two nails, and some duct tape and put it together. And we're like, dude, what are you doing? And I kid you not, he looked me dead in the eye and said, I don't know these people here. I got to protect myself. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it still is just stuck in my memory of so many fond moments that were shared with other people. I can remember who I went through those things with. And then I can think also to whenever I graduated college and around the time a year later when I first showed up here and suddenly those relationships became fewer and fewer. I had friends that moved away. I had friends who had jobs and just got busy. And then I also had friends that got married and just seemed to disappear and RIP, I guess. But the thing I remember is that suddenly there was this craving for relationships that set into my heart. 
there was a period of loneliness that I couldn't figure out how to serve. And so I think if we're being honest, many of you in here are possibly walking through that right now. Our staff talks about it all the time. We are not naive enough to think that some of y'all aren't here simply because you want friends or a hot date. I mean, we can keep it real, I know it, and that's okay. We believe that truly, as you come here, you may come for all of those things, but you're gonna get so much more. And so, the thing that I've really come to is this. We are meant to be in relationship with others. And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. And so, last week, Andy painted an incredible picture of remembering the gospel. He asked us to remember the good news that we have been rescued and that Jesus Christ came to make our relationship with God right. The gospel is clear and it makes a crystal clear picture that there is no other way to heaven except through Christ. And so he painted an amazing picture. If you didn't get to watch that, please go back and see it, of our need for a relationship with Christ to have salvation. Ultimately, that is what saves us. And so we see immediately in that, that there's a need for this great relationship. And so where I wanna start tonight is in Genesis 1, uh, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make God in in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so one thing that never quite stood out to me is that in this, we see from the beginning of time, God has existed as three and one. And I'll be honest, I went to Sunday school, I've grown up in church, and it still blows my mind on how that is a thing. That in its being, we have where scripture points to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet, they're all intertwined as one, not separate. We see that for all eternity, God has been in relationship in himself as they who knew one another and they who love one another. And so it is a cosmic relationship that there are entire sermons trying to break this down. And I'm not gonna try and go into the weeds of it because honestly, it's, it's one of those things that you have to continue to understand and wrestle with. But there is this cosmic relationship within himself that God is three in one. And the church simply puts it as this, the Trinity. God is all three and one at the same time. And so point one for tonight is gonna be this. God made us primarily for relationship with him. God made us primarily for relationship with him. You see, in creation, when God created man, when we go back to Genesis 1.26, he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the animals, over all all other creatures that move along the ground. And it took me so long to realize the verbiage that is used in this. If you go to the beginning, it says, let us make mankind in our image. Two plural sayings that point out again, 
the relationship that God has within himself, that even in the moment of creation, he basically got with himself and said, this is how we're gonna do this. And so we see that God in himself is a relational being. And so if we are made in the image of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, being made in the image of a relational being makes us relational beings. You see, from Genesis one through two, God repeatedly looked at what he did and said it was good. He said, let there be light and sky to separate the water. And it says, God saw this and it was good. Let there be day and night to separate light from darkness. And again, God saw that and it was good. Let the lamb produce living creatures according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And so, Time and time again in Genesis, from the very beginning, we see as God made things, he looked at it, took a step back and said, this is good. But then we come to Genesis 2.18, where God is revealing the details of creation of man. And upon completion, he says this, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And I believe that this is not just a nod towards marriage, like I've seen so many times, but a nod towards the fact that we are created to be in relationship. But there's something more. It implies that we are better together, but if everything was good except for Adam being alone in a perfect world with a perfect relationship with God, how is this not good? Like that just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Tim Keller in a book has this quote that I feel like paints this picture so well. And he says this, if in the garden God said it's not good for man to be alone, then the Genesis narrative is implying our intense relational capacity created and given to us by God was not fulfilled completely with our vertical relationship with God. God designed us to need horizontal relationships with other human beings that is why even in paradise, loneliness is a terrible thing. And so I love that immediately it points out that even in the creation, that somewhere in there when he says that it is not good for man to be alone, he's saying, I'm designing you to have relationship with me, but also with others. And I think that's so interesting because far too often we look at loneliness as a result of the fall that it seems like as the, the apple was eaten and things fell apart, that that is where this desire to be with one another came from, that that is where we seek to be fulfilled. And in fact, it was in our design. We were created to seek relationship. And so God created us to be first in relationship with him. And then God secondarily made us for relationship with others. And that's my second point tonight. God secondarily made us for relationship with others. We are better together because God made us that way, quite simply. Some of you in this room are introverts, and I'm not naive enough to think that there are some people in this room that think, I don't need people, I don't even like people, and that's okay. But I'd argue that more than likely that's not completely true. Even those of us that don't necessarily desire a wide array of relationships, we still crave some type of relationship. 
And so maybe for you, it's not that you want multiple people, but you do seek a depth in the people that you are around. But I just have a hard time believing that you don't crave any type of relationship with others, that you are completely satisfied being by yourself. And so out of that, I've come to this thought. We are brought into this world with a relationship with our parents. That is our first relationship. And then after that, naturally, every relationship after that comes from a common interest. And so a common interest can quite literally be anything. Like it could be sports. Anyone in here a Dallas Cowboys fan? Yeah. I'll take it, at least one. Hey, y'all can hate, it's still America's team. Uh, I mean, watching them perform right now, this may be our year. Like, I'm just saying we 2-0. I've been saying it for like the last 20 years and it's failed me, but I really do think that this year could be our year. And so there are friends that I've bonded with simply over sports. There is also, you know, a thirst for knowledge. There are some people that because of their thirst for knowledge, they seek out others that have intriguing thoughts, that are thought productive. There are some people that bond over books. I've never liked reading much, but I know there's a ton of Harry Potter fans out there. They will literally tell me when I get a muggle wrong or whatever else, it, when I'm talking to them, I have no idea. I've watched them in pieces, but I don't understand it. But I know there are people who have bonded over it. There are people who have bonded over music, life goals, video games. I mean, there's some people that are simply bonded as family. Like, I hope my two sisters aren't watching this right now, but if it wasn't for us being family, I don't know that we are gonna be friends. Like. <laughs> They're mean. Like, if I'm being honest, they were mean to me growing up. But because of our common interest of being family, we have been eternally bonded. Like, we thrive in relationship together. And so, as humans, the relationships we form with people are important to our mental and emotional well-being, but even more so, our survival. John Ortberg on Sunday pointed out that the U.S. Attorney General just released um, a saying that due to, lone, due to loneliness, it has been declared a public health crisis because so many people lack relationships due to busyness lack of commit, or lack of commitment to relationships. And so I think that's so amazing that I dove deeper in a Northwestern medical article that was released in September of 2021 revealed that healthy relationships lead to five things. And I'd love for you to just dive in with me, but one of the first things it says is it gives you less stress. Healthy relationships bring you less stress. Being in a committed relationship is linked to producing less cortisol, a stress hormone. The social and emotional support that comes from knowing someone loves and supports you when you're going through your day, even if the person is not physically there, is a mental health booster. And I know some of you can relate to this. I mean, I just think of this. Many of you have gone through an extremely tough time, a season of life where things are just hard. And the simple encouragement of a text or a call from a friend completely changed what you were going through. It gave you hope. It lifted you up to know that, hey, someone cares about you. But I also think of this. Cortisol is the hormone that is released in the body and when you stress, your body produces too much. And it causes three things that I think we all wanna avoid. It causes weight gain, acne, 
And for the ladies in the room, it causes you to get facial hair. And so I think it's quite easy to say that none of us wanna be dealing with uh, an overproduction of cortisol. The second thing it says is that it brings you healthier behaviors. If your friends, spouse, or other loved ones encourage a healthy diet, exercising, not smoking, or just any type of healthy behavior, you're more likely to follow in their footsteps. It's a lot easier to take on the challenge of behavioral change when you surround yourself with people who are doing the same thing. And many of us have seen that. Some of us have tried to go to the gym time after time, and every time you show up alone, you get there, you're like, ooh, that looks heavy. And then you find a way to walk around, and then maybe you leave. But then it's a lot harder to leave whenever you have somebody right there beside you like, uh-uh. I gave up my time, we gonna get this done. And that applies in so many other aspects of healthier behaviors. The third thing it points out is that healthy relationships lead to better healing. Whether it is having someone there to remind you to take your medicine or just the comfort of having someone to take your mind off the pain, research suggests that patients who underwent heart surgery are three times as likely to survive the first three months of surgery than patients who are alone. And I can understand this one so much because in the last year, I experienced probably from a physical standpoint, the hardest year of my life. Uh, some of you know, but I was in a car accident where I was hit head on and I ended up fracturing my back in 10 different places. Uh, I was sat to the side and there was so much going on. But I think about the number of people who came around and surrounded me. I literally had one of my best friends and his wife take me in for three months because they had a spare room and they didn't want me sitting at home whenever everyone else went back to work alone. And so because his wife was a stay-at-home mom, she literally said, come over here. We're gonna care for you. We're gonna make sure you're okay. I think of the fact that I had a number of people who brought me meals and checked on me and made sure that I wasn't sitting alone during that time, that I wasn't isolated in the thought of constant pain. And it changed my life. I think about the fact that literally I got dozens of letters from our Tuesday team and so many others in the church simply just reaching out to encourage me. And I got to actually see the results of that in my own uh, outcome because when I went to the doctor um, after seven months, I was actually told that I was two months ahead of time on the healing process. And I mean, I can only attribute that to one, just a miracle of God, but also just the people around me. It truly did make that so much easier. And so life would have looked so much different without those people. But then I look at the fourth thing that it points out. It says that there's a greater sense of purpose. Many people strive to feel like they are doing something good for someone else or just simply improving the world in some way. Research showed that being in a loving relationship, no matter what kind, can give a person a sense of well-being and purpose which has shown a correlation that added years of life. The fifth thing simply goes straight into that is that research has shown you get a longer life. Healthy relationships actually bring a longer life. Having social ties have shown to have an upwards of a nine year improvement in the life expectancy of people. And so it simply shows that the people you surround yourself with can literally bring life to you. And I just think it's amazing that less stress 
healthy behaviors, better healing, great sense of purpose, and a longer life, it almost seems like science has discovered what God said, and that's that we are better together. We truly are better together. But then there's something. Have you ever been surrounded by loved ones doing something you love, just completely in awe, like a perfect moment, and then you left just feeling like, dang, is it really over? There was this emptiness of as soon as that ended, it felt like there was a craving for more. You, you didn't quite get full. It didn't quite sustain you past the moment that was actually there. And I think about this. In our ministry, we see so many people who have healthy relationships, not just lonely ones, but we see people who have healthy relationships that come here and they tell us that they're looking for more. There's something missing. And so I think of this, we are better together, but our savior is not our friends. We have to remember our primary relationship was always designed to be God. A verse that really highlights this is Ecclesiastes 3, verse 10 through 11. It says this, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. And so the author is Solomon, and he is saying something that Andy pointed out in our rhythm of creation at the beginning of this series. And that's this, there is purpose and intentionality in God's activity. The rhythm of life, days in, seasons in, relationships in, life ends. And yet there is something uniquely in that that draws us to a craving for more. It points back to that God has set eternity in our hearts. Tony Evans in his commentary says this about this verse. He says, perhaps life's rhythms are designed to point us to another reality. Indeed, God has put eternity in our hearts Humanity is intention. We live in routine of time, but our hearts are designed to long for something eternal. In his design of creation, God has intentionally created dissatisfaction in life to drive us to him. I wanna just read that again one more time. Perhaps life's rhythms are designed to point us to another reality. Indeed, God has put eternity in our hearts. Humanity is intention. We live in routine of time, but our hearts are designed to long for something eternal. In his design of creation, God has intentionally created dissatisfaction in life to drive us to him. And so we begin to see this thing unravel of God has given us an incredible gift in the relationships that we have around us. And yet he intentionally designed it to not completely fulfill us. He intentionally designed it that the rhythms of our life send us craving and wanting more. And so it points to a thought that ties both of these together and that's this. We are meant to live in balance of both relationships. The vertical one to God, but also the horizontal one to others. And so it seems that there is some intertwining of how this is supposed to be in balance. And what I've come to realize is the rhythm of our relationships is that scripture seems to show us that if we build relationships around a common interest in Christ, then our horizontal relationship 
will strengthen us to grow in our vertical relationship with God. And so as we join arms and we find others who have a common interest in Christ, scripture points out that as we walk in this relationship together, it actually pushes us upwards towards a closer relationship with God. And so in simple terms, our healthy relationships with other believers should provide stability, strength, and unity in our walk with one another. And so my third point for tonight is this. God's word shows us how to live with one another. All of these are gonna be one another's because we are not meant to do this alone. And so one of the first scriptures I come to is John 13, 34. It says, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. He's saying, by the love that we show others, they will see Christ. They will know that you are a believer. They will know something is different about you. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I'm gonna be honest with y'all. This one's hard. This one was one that I struggled with for years because I just felt like, one, if I already confessed it to God, well, I gotta go tell my friend over here. And it kept me in kind of this cycle. But then out of this, we also see that in this, it says that that is how we will find healing. And so it took me actually doing this to realize that there is not shame that comes in the confession of sins. When you bring your sins to someone that you can trust, to an actual friend in Christ, then the most amazing thing happens. You find this moment where you are completely vulnerable. You put yourself in front of them and have to show your failures and the most amazing thing happens. They get the opportunity to say, it's okay. I see you in this. I love you. But then they also get to do something so amazing. It says they get to pray for you. And then they get to walk beside you. And that's where the healing comes from in the confession of sins. Because we can confess to God all day. And it says that he'll forgive us. But the healing comes from us releasing the secrets of life and actually being known. So many of us carry the burden of, hey, I have this deep sin that no one knows. And so we show up and somewhere in there, there's this insecurity of no one really knows me. If they really knew me, then how would they look at me? If they really knew me, would they love me? And so we see the benefit of confessing our sins to one another is that you actually get to see that someone knows you fully for your sins and they still love you and accept you. They still choose to walk beside you. They still choose to love you. And I promise you, if you haven't done this, find someone that you trust. Walk in this confession and see if it doesn't bring complete freedom. See if it doesn't change your outlook to where you realize that now I have someone who is pushing me forward in this walk. The most amazing thing is now that they know that you struggle with something, they can check on you. I have a friend that in my past, struggling with a pornography addiction, I told him, hey, this is a struggle. And it was the most shameful thing that I had to share. It was hard. And then out of that, I've now gained someone that constantly checks up on me. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, are you struggling? How can I help you? How can I continue to pray for you? And so, guys, we're called to confess our sins to one another. The next one is this, Romans 15, seven says, accept one another. 
then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And again, we're supposed to accept one another for the flawed beings that we are. We're not supposed to leave each other there, but it's understanding that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, and God still loves me. God has still come down to meet the sinner in me. And so in the same way, I have to accept you. I have to walk in a relationship with you knowing that you are gonna be flawed. The next thing is Galatians 6.2. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We're supposed to carry the weight of each other. We're supposed to bear arms. We're supposed to know that, hey, on a day where I struggle, someone else can be there to say, hey, it's okay. Hey, I got you. I'm here with you. It points back to that relational piece of we heal better when we know someone is there with us, when we know someone is holding us up. Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This was another hard one that I had to deal with. When I was a junior in high school, I'll never forget, my dad was in the military and he lived all across the country all my life. And there was one thing that I always desired from sports, from people pleasing and everything else. And it was to honestly just have my dad say, I'm proud of you. And then there was a moment where I invited him to a state championship match and he promised me he would be there. And in that match, he ended up not showing a loss and this idol of wrestling that I had came crashing down. But more importantly, it brought me to the realization that there are some, some pieces in my dad's relationship with me that were broken. And I remember as a pissed off 17 year old kid, I came to him and I'm like, hey, I'm tired of it. If you're not gonna be in my life, then just be gone. But it, I can't do this false promises and you halfway in, halfway out. And the most hurtful thing ever happened to me. I'll never forget my dad simply hung up and from that moment we didn't talk for seven years. And the hardest thing ever was that through discipleship, I was led to have to walk through what does it look like to forgive him? What does it look like to have to realize that I am flawed and so in that I have to forgive others for their flaws. And out of that, I remember I was able to actually forgive my dad. And I invited him to my college graduation. That was the first time I saw him in seven years. And the most amazing thing happened was that in the time that I began praying for him, in the time that I had to step into forgiving him, he stepped into a church in New Orleans, Louisiana, and his life actually began to be changed. But in that sparked an incredible conversation that brought so much healing, where I got to just sit down in front of him and just ask, like, what took place? Because for so long in my life, I felt like I was the reason why he stepped away that I was the reason that I just wasn't enough. And out of that conversation, I got to hear him say the different flaws that he found in himself, the decisions that he made over time that he didn't think of who, who they would affect, but he simply made a decision. And out of that, I realized that this wasn't someone who just hated me. This is someone who had flaws and made decisions. And out of that conversation, it revealed in me that there are many decisions that I had made selfishly that affected others. It revealed in me that I had others that I had to forgive. And it started to bring so much healing because I could then look at others and realize that the things that they did to me were simply the result of sin, of decisions in their life. And so we're called to forgive one another. And it's not just simply to let them off the hook. There is freedom in forgiving others. 
There is freedom when you realize that your flaws and their flaws are exactly the same, that they are simply a human who made a decision, but that in the same way you've made so many decisions and yet God continuously forgives you. He continuously says that it's okay. I forgive you, I love you. So the next one I have is 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says, encourage one another and build each other up. We're called to encourage each other, to let you know you got this. But just a few verses down below that, we get to verse 14 and it says, we urge you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, and I think of this, like I, I really had to unfold that, like warn those who are idle and disruptive. And there was a time in my life where as a freshman in college, I showed up and completely turned my life over to living for the world. I lived for the party. I went out, was drinking all the time. It was just the lifestyle I had. And yet I would have told you that I was a Christian because all my life I grew up in the church. And I had a friend that one night when I hit my lowest of lows, when finally I couldn't find any satisfaction in the world of the parties or anything that I was doing, I'll never forget, she met me at a party and she asked me two things. Will you go to church with me? And do you need a ride home? And let me tell you, that's the last thing you wanna hear when you're doing something that you're not supposed to do, is will you go to church with me? And so everywhere I went in this house, I was simply like, hey, leave me alone, I'm good. And after I avoided her about eight different times, finally I, I just looked at her and I was like, hey, look, if you just leave me alone, let me sit in my sorrows, I will go with you. But I don't wanna hear anything else about it tonight. And so we ended the night. And I'll never forget the next morning, she calls and I look down at my phone and I'm like, I ain't going. If I'm being honest with you, I was hungover, I was hurting, I was like, I ain't going. And what I didn't consider is that there was a fire escape on the side that was made out of rebar. And if you jump about five and a half feet up in there, you can climb up it. And I kid you not, this girl climbed up the fire escape, Draper 313, and drug me to Life Church on Northwest Expressway. And I'll never forget it because that day completely changed my life. I heard a message that forced me to rededicate my life to Christ and completely turn the way that I was walking. And so in this, when it says, warn those who are idle, know that there's someone that is like me that will thank you forever for simply pushing them. And so I know it can be hard. I know we can think that, hey, they're gonna reject me, they'll walk away from me. But think of the other side of that. What would it look like if their life actually was changed? If their distance from God was actually revealed and it spurred them on? And so the last one I have for you is this, Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in a habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so, if y'all don't know me, I got a little bit, a little bit of cowboy in me. Like, I grew up in Louisiana, and in high school I worked on a cattle ranch, and actually in college, one of my best friends, his family has a ranch down in Duncan and I did the same. And so I wore some spurs a few times. And I just love that, I love horses and I love the, the image that this paints. Because a spur is what goes on your heel. And it just has fine points on it 
in that as you sit on top of a horse, whenever it comes to a stop, and usually you just lead it with the reins and it knows to go, but every now and then you have to give it a little nudge. You have to give it just the slightest reminder of, hey, we can't stay here, we gotta keep going. And in the same way, God's word is telling us we're called to do that to each other. We're called to look at one another and know that sometimes we're gonna fall idle in our walk. Sometimes it may grow weary. And sometimes you just gotta go get, give a little kick to your friend and let them know, hey, we gotta keep going. Why? Because we are designed to have something so much greater. But also this points out the picture that we are in fact better together. We are called to do life together. So I ask you, who do you have spurring you on? Who are you spurring on? There is an old wise tale that says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I'm not telling you that you can't have non-believing friends. Quite the opposite. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations. That is what God told the disciples to do at the very end and it has been passed on to us. But I challenge you this. If none of your relationships point to God, then where's your future going? If none of your relationships can encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with Christ, then where are you gonna get it whenever you don't have that strength in yourself? Because we all have bad days. We all find ourselves in the midst of struggle. We all find ourselves in the conflict of sin. And so you might wanna take an evaluation of the people that you spend the most time with. But all in all, you see the Bible paints an amazing view of how believers can bond over the like-mindedness in Christ and build relationships. In this relationship, we go beyond the fulfillment of just the world, and we see that it brings us to a fulfillment in a relationship with Christ as well. And so we are, in fact, driven towards God and become eternally better together. And so God made us primarily for relationship with him. God made us secondarily for relationship with others. God's word shows us how to live with one another. So what do we do with this? My first question is this. Who is your primary relationship with? Who do you devote the most to? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Is he the primary relationship in your life that you are driven towards? And if not, is there an aspect of your salvation that is waiting in the mist? Is there a deep gamble that you are playing and that you have not submitted your life to Christ? My second one is this, where have you planted your relationships? Who are the people that you are surrounding yourself with? Will they bear fruit? Will the relationships you're planted in bear fruit that actually shows that you are in relationship with Christ? Or will it bear empty, showing that there is nothing there, that it is just a simple, hollow, earthly relationship? And then my last question is this, because this message can so easily have you reflecting on everyone that you're surrounded by and not quite have you reflecting on what is your role to others? Is it self-fulfilling? 
or is it serving? Because in each one of these one another's, it is not necessarily about self-fulfilling. It's not about serving yourself. Each and every one of those points to us serving the will of one another. And if we're both mutually doing that, then we both benefit. And so as much as you can look around and see all the relationships that are pointing into your life, what do the relationships you walk in point outwards? What type of friend are you? So if you bow with me, I'd love to close this in prayer and leave you with these thoughts. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this moment, for your word that has been brought to us. I ask that you would place this in the hearts of each and every person in this room that we would see intricately in your design, you have made us to be relational beings. That you have desired for us to always have a relationship with you. But intertwined in that, there is, there is very clear evidence that we are to be in relationship with others. And so would you allow us to evaluate the relationships in our lives? Would you allow us to see the strength in those relationships that point upwards towards you to make us better together eternally in you? Amen.